0: Bye. Welcome to Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Ducidi. Thank you very much for joining us. We're very excited to have you here on the June 3rd, 2016 edition. We're hoping that uh, you tune in for a wonderful show. Thank you for tuning in let's get to our very first part of the show which is the uh we're getting a quick take on uh, the fact that governor hickler has kept his promise to veto the 2016 version of the red light camera ban the governor said that this year's bill like last year's instituted a statewide ban rather than creating reasonable limitations patty i'm i feel like i'm getting a sense of deja vu with this one what about you
1: And get ready to have it again next year, because I'm sure people will be pushing a bill. They won't listen to what the governor wants for a bill that he would approve, and we'll see another veto. Part of it is giving municipalities and towns power, and I think that's still an issue here.
0: David Culp from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Um, I'm getting a sense of deja vu on this one. What are your thoughts?
2: (laughs) I think the, it would be good to have a statewide ban because it, it's the red light cameras are part of this expanding electronic surveillance state, which we all ought to be fighting against. But the governor had said he would support restrictions and, and veto a, a ban. And, and you've got to make progress that, that you can under the circumstances. So I think the legislature should have sent him a limitation uh, that he would have signed and work on... Uh, the statewide ban. when we have a new governor who will be more protective of civil liberties
0: Joey Bunch from the Denver Post uh, joins us. Uh, you had a, a great piece on this uh, this week. Uh, like I said, you know, this is the, what we expected. It was already telegraphed. What's the advantage for lawmakers to go ahead and lob something at the governor that they know is going to get vetoed
3: just like it was a year ago? Well, they're running for election this year and people don't like the, getting these tickets. I've gotten three. I can relate. I would, I would very much support a ban but, you know, the fact is, if you don't want to uh, get the fine, don't do the crime.
0: <laughs> hey, uh, sage advice, Joey. I like that. Ed C. Lever, uh, from the Denver Business Journal also joins us. Um, do you get a sense here that we're going to yet see it again because there's enough motivation from a bipartisan? This isn't what, like, a Republican Senate, Republican House lobbying it at a Democratic governor. He had bipartisan support from two different houses here. Uh, send it to the governor. We're going to see it again.
4: I would bet we will. In fact, if you watch the legislature year after year, we see all dead bills come back again. It's really like a zombie horror film, <laughs> the way that people don't realize that, you know, things died before. They're probably going to die again if you don't make any substantial changes to it. And I think if that comes back, we'll see Governor Hickenlooper probably veto this again. It's, uh, Joey makes a good point. You know, I think the people who wrote this bill, probably gave some consideration to let's tune it down a little bit and maybe we could pass it, and then thought, what's going to score me more points with the voters this year, went with this one they knew would be vetoed and still will be able to put that on their campaign material.
0: Well, speaking of the governor, he helped to kick off the Raise the Bar campaign, a ballot issue that would make it harder to amend the Colorado Constitution via the ballot. The measure would require signatures from 2% of voters in each of Colorado's 35 state Senate districts, among other qualifications. Uh, Patty, this seems, uh, we've seen this before against the Deja Vu show um, in different forms, uh, but this is the first time we've had a significant campaign from the governor. Do you think that'll make a difference?
1: I think it will in this case, this is the deja vu state, I mean, and uh-huh. the deja vu show. what topic have we not brought up over and over and again, and certainly the the push to limit initiatives has come up many times. One of the things I love about Colorado is that you can have citizen initiatives and that people can push causes they believe in. what you don 't love is when they push causes and try to make changes in the Colorado Constitution that way because once in there it almost never comes out, and it makes governing the state, following the rules, really, really tough. So it's not a surprise that of the many different things people have been considering, you know, TABOR, hospital provider fee, putting on the ballot, and boosters are still considering others that the governor went for this one first, because remember, it's for initiatives that would change the Constitution, constitutional amendments, raising the bar to, I think, a reasonable level. It does not remove all citizen initiatives.
0: David, is it too easy to amend Colorado's constitution?
2: Well, th- this raise the bar thing has uh, philosophical points for it when you you hear it at its highest level of generality. However, when you get into the details, it's a dagger aimed at the taxpayers' bill of rights because it says, on the one hand, for future constitution for most future constitutional amendments, you need this very difficult thing to do, which is you know to get signatures and you know. Uh, a lot of signatures in, in every state Senate district, uh, which would make it very expensive and, and, and often nearly impossible. But for things that will restrict the taxpayer's bill of rights or other protections, such as the, uh, the uh, marijuana, or, or you know, lot, lots of other uh, amendments we have, you could still do things to weaken or even eliminate those under the old, more lenient system. It, 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 it's a one-way ratchet, and uh, so uh, the, the idea is okay in principle, but it should apply fairly in principle to everything and not selectively uh, disadvantage the taxpayers' bill of rights. Those details were not in the
0: press release, uh, David. I appreciate you uh, bringing those up. Joey, do
2: you think lawmakers are going to get
0: behind uh, Governor Hickenlooper in support of this campaign? It's a non-establishment year, so it's, I imagine, tricky for folks running for re-election Governor Hicklubber has the luxury of not running for re-election this year.
3: Well, I don't know. I think it's going to be partisan. I don't think a lot of Republicans are going to jump on board with this. I mean, this came out of the Building a Better Colorado. This is the first thing we've seen out of Building a Better Colorado. And is really restricting voters' access to the ballot. The best way to build a better Colorado. I mean, it's the right problem and the wrong solution. The problem is special interest. People with deep pockets can get what they want on the ballot because they can go out and hire petition gatherers. But anybody who thinks it's easy to get on the ballot has never gone out and collected 98,400 and something ballots. And actually, you have to have way more than that because, as John Kaiser can tell you, mm-hmm. you, you need some cushion. So, the, you know, and the ironic thing is, is if this had to. Uh, you know live by its own rules there's no way it could ever get on the ballot and I think they're just gonna have a hard sell with this because what you're saying is that we're gonna make it harder for people to change the Constitution redress of grievances yet we're gonna make it still pretty easy by their definition to do these statutory amendments but that just puts power right back into the hands of the politician so what they have to sell is taking power away from the people uh... and giving it to politics in order to do this end around on special interest i don't know let's see what happens as they go out and try to gather their signatures
0: and uh, john hickenlooper has a pretty astounding record when it comes to backing ballot proposals a lot of them were, were tax measures as mayor of denver uh... but even became governor he's had a great success it's not uh, he's not undefeated but it's pretty solid. Do you think he's risking that record, that reputation,
4: getting behind this particular proposal? I think th- that reputation's already a bit tainted after the destruction of the uh, school's tax hike that he backed in 2013. But... Um, uh, but no, no, I mean, I think he's, he's playing this right. I mean, Hickenlooper has found the sweet spot here is he's bringing together uh, moderates from both sides of the aisle, uh, or at least not hardcore left and right wingers from both sides of the aisle, who are the ones who are going to oppose this. He's working with the business community. He's pushing something that has had decent amounts of support in the past. Um, but, but I think back to 2008 and the story of referendum, O, which explains exactly why this is uh, both something that people may want and why it's going to have trouble. That was a similar measure. It didn't have this. This Senate district appeal to it, but it had the making it harder to change the Constitution measure. And it went down by five points, even though a lot of people said people are getting really sick of these really long ball- you know, ballots with, with tons of issues on them, and they're willing to vote for something that will cut that down. And one of the reasons people say that it failed is it was the last of 14 measures on that ballot. Well, guess what? We're going to have about a dozen again this year, and it's really going to be the test of, you know, if people really do vote, no, 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 no. When they get down to the bottom of these ballots, um, that seems to me to be a call for people would be willing to support something that would shorten the ballots. But at the same point, uh, if this again ends up, you know, 10th, 11th on the ballots, we may find ourselves in another situation where people say, I hate all these ballots uh, measures, but uh, I'm not going to do anything to change it. A Denver judge dismissed a lawsuit this week that challenged the petition
0: signature submitted by U.S. Senate candidate John Kaiser. The judge cited that the deadline to challenge the petitions passed weeks ago. Mail-in ballots for the primary election go out next week. David, uh, a few weeks back when the whole signature thing started with the Senate, U.S. Senate Republican candidates, you had said that uh, once the judgments came in that they were going to be back on the ballot, that it wouldn't dog them. Do you still feel that way in the case of John Kaiser.
2: Um, yes, because again, this is an in, inside politics I- issue. I don't think voters are going to have much interest in it, and it was a, a fairly thin case uh, as presented. They had affidavits from ten vote, ten people who said that their signatures were forged, and I'm, I'm sure that that was true. But that that's not really enough to, to throw a guy off the ballot. And as the judge said, certainly not at this late date. But what what's the most important thing about this is the anti-Kaiser people hired Mark Ruskin, who's in. Excellent lawyer, uh, but not cheap uh, for something they knew had had to know had almost no chance of success. And so, why do that? It, it shows how afraid they are of Kaiser. This is, you know, if if, if I were in the Re- a Republican primary voter and I'm saying, you know, I, I want to pick the candidate who's got the best chance of winning in November. What this tells you, absolutely. Is the one that the pro Bennett forces are scared of by far, is is uh, Kaiser.
0: Joey, what do you think of that point? Because that's the, the point that uh, John Kaiser has made himself several times in debates and whatnot that he's a target of the left and therefore he's the most, uh, um, I guess, power- really attractive candidate at this point, uh, at least feared candidate is the most, uh, I guess, the accurate way to say that. Uh, do you believe that claim? Uh, does it have some meat to it?
3: Well, I don't know. I, I agree with about 90% of what Dave said. What I don't agree with is that voters aren't paying attention. You know, they may not understand the details of the law and the ins and outs and the wonky stuff, but now we've spent another week talking about John Kaiser being incompetent. And the um, that's not you know we're 3 weeks out from from the primary i don't know how much time he's got to recover as far as him being the guy that bennett's the most afraid of the only people i hear saying that is john kaiser i think that the people there's um you know it's a mixed field i think the candidate that if he can survive the primary and i'm not sure that he can that would be Jack Graham, because he would attract more of those moderate voters than uh, than Kaiser, Daryl Glenn, Ryan Fraser, Robert Blaha, any of those would. So in a general election, my money would be on Jack Graham. In the primary, it's on Daryl Glenn.
0: I, I get that point, especially with Jack Graham being... The, you know the most moderate candidate in this kind of a season, uh, the script that they've they the, the Bennett campaign used against Ken Buck that Mark Udall used against Cory Gardner unsuccessfully really couldn 't be the same situation. I get what you 're saying there uh, Ed um, mail in ballots go out next week, so we 're only a couple days away from some v- Republican voters being able to uh, make their voice heard mm-hmm. immediately. Um, what do you make of? The race so far. We've heard so much about signatures
4: and petitions. Is that going to dominate where voters are thinking about? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's funny that you ask that, because I, I'm doing a, a five-part series next week on where the five candidates stand on business issues. And, and the universal response I got when I started asking the questions is, wow, thanks for actually asking us about issues. You're right. I mean, this has not been a, a race about, you know, who is nuanced on their views on foreign relations or on tax policy. This has all been all about uh, three people who had to get the court's help to make it on to the ballot, uh, and one candidate who uh, won 70% of the backing at the Republican uh, State Convention, and still gets people pointing to him saying, no way he could possibly go any further. Um, So, I I think that uh, I'm going to jump in here, and I'm going to say I fully agree with Dave on this one. I mean, the the idea that they have spent so much capital attacking John Kaiser, uh, hiring a handwriting analyst to look over these things, Uh, progress now calling for a criminal investigation on his campaign. And yet you have targets like Blaha and Frazier, whose, whose uh, credentials for being on this ballot are far more suspect based on Wayne Williams' initial booting them off of the ballot. Um, I, I think it really is. I think for Kaiser has looked green. He's looked robotic in some of his responses. His fundraising's not up to what people wanted. And somehow he seems to be scaring the out of Michael Bennett right now if the Democrats are concentrating their forces on this. Um, I- I'm waiting to see now that this tactic has failed if we see what we've seen in other states' Republican primaries uh, for Senate uh, contests before, and that is the Democrats coming in under a different name and propping somebody else up because they see them as an easier candidate to beat. Maybe we'll start seeing some pro-Daryl Glenn ads or some, pro, uh, some pro-Robert some pro ads coming out there. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's been really intriguing to see. So much has been focused on John Kaiser, who is repeatedly called the second-rate candidate, but he's got so much of a different uh, target on his back than the other four candidates. Patty, should someone file
0: a lawsuit to mandate better advertisements?
1: <laughs> well, and not just in this campaign. Let's face it, we could use them everywhere. Well, let's, here's another tactic we could see. Democrats Registering as Republicans, so they can vote in the primary on june twenty eight there 's still time to change party affiliations if you want to vote. You can And you can still, if you haven't registered to vote, you can still register by Monday. So you could see a drive going to change that. Then on the other hand, if you don't register Democrat, you can't vote for the DA's candidates in Denver, which is another really hotly contested race that we've heard almost nothing about. It's amazing how little we know about the positions of the three running for DA, the five running for Senate, although we certainly know all about um, Kaiser's dog. So it's appropriate that he's been dogged by other accusations. And now the fact that even though he was a lifelong Republican, he took a little hiatus. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and uh, Patty has offered me a perfect segue to remind all of you that we begin, calling Colorado Decides, our primary debate campaign this fr- in fact just in, in about a, half, a little over half an hour at 9 p.m. on Friday the uh, same DA's race that Patty talked about the three candidates will be here talking and answering questions for a full hour and then next Friday June 10th we'll have the five Senate candidates asking qu- answering questions on issues and a little bit about signatures. Based on new information from Texas law enforcement officials, the Denver Post reported on Sunday that the murder of Colorado prisons director Tom Clements was very likely a direct order from a white supremacist gang. The Post's editorial page was openly critical of the lack of information from Colorado officials and how the investigation has been handled uh... joey i know you're not on the editorial page of the post but uh... part of the report your reporting colleagues he'll bring brings of this to light uh, what has been the impression of what we have found out even though those cases several years old it's still
3: fresh in a lot of people's minds and there's still a lot of things to talk about well one of the things we learned is that kirk mitchell at the denver post is a hell of a good reporter he's the guy who drove this all the rest of the media has kind of looked the other way on it, and he's the guy who found those documents in texas and brought this to life now the problem itself You know, the the problem with the investigation is in the El Paso County Sheriff's Department. Terry Makita. all indications are he ran that department like a frat house. Where the governor and the state government comes in is they should have stepped in. They should have, you know, taken a look at this because, you know, the statute of limitations on conspiracy is is already over. But it's not too late to, to name a special prosecutor and go after murder charges against those responsible. Now, for the, uh, for the Republicans that want to lay this at the feet of John Hickenlooper, that's pretty preposterous. He and Tom Clements were close friends. I don't think that John Hickenlooper subverted justice. Justice, to the benefit of white supremacists. I think that they, they dropped the ball on this, and for whatever reason, they didn't call the El Paso County Sheriff's Department to account for how they were handling this, this, uh, this case, and it's time to appoint a special prosecutor. I think we'll see that.
0: Ed, what do you think? Is there an appetite for more
4: investigation, a special prosecutor, from uh, lawmakers, regardless of partisanship? Well, I mean, whether it's a special prosecutor or maybe it's just lighting a fire under the current El Paso County Sheriff's Office administration. It's easy to blame this on Makita because that's been such a disaster down there. But let's not forget, Makita is the one who actually said, I think there is more that will come out of this. Um, And you have the current sheriff who has assigned, to me was the most shocking thing about the story, has assigned one person to continue looking into this. I mean, this is... A white supremacist gang ordering the killing of the highest corrections official in the state. Don't think they can't order a lot more killings a lot more easily. This is something you really have to get on. Uh, and the fact that there is one person looking into it almost seems like it's uh, the result of a spitting contest between the Makita administration, who would have, in all likelihood, from, from what uh, has been reported, gone after this with a little more gusto, and the current administration, who is just trying to do anything that Makita didn't do um so I don't know I, I think there I don't think this issue should be dead yet um but I don't know if it's uh if it's totally time to pull it out to the special prosecutor or just get in line and say hey sheriff's office maybe you ought to put a little more resources into this
0: well, speaking of resources, Patty, this being a, one of the lower, if not the lowest point of John Hickler's political career because of his personal connection to Tom Clements, is he going to want to get involved? Is he, I mean, it, it's, it's hard to go back to something that painful, but is there enough meat here for him to want to spur some action?
1: Well, you can see him wanting to let El Paso County do the investigation originally. That's, that's where it belonged. But given the fact that we still really don't know what Terry Makita did on this case. We certainly know what he did in the shower and with his various employees. But given that situation now, I think it makes much more sense to pull it into a special prosecutor than give it to the current sheriff's department. I mean, they've had their chance. If they've got one person on it, that is not enough to do it. Amazing that we have to go to Texas to find out what's happening in our own state and good for Kirk Mitchell. And there's a lot more, it sounds like, that is going to come on this.
0: Uh, David, you're our esteemed lawyer at the table. What's the best next move for officials to make
2: on this issue? Well, a special prosecutor might might be the right way to go, and certainly the the governor has not, I'm sure, will never forget the the murder of, of his close friend. And, and in fact, in a it's in his autobiography, and in the excerpt of his autobiography, which he wrote as an editorial for Time Magazine, he talks about it. Now, the odd thing is, to him, this was the a decisive justification for why he signed these Bloomberg anti-gun laws in, in 2013. I don't really see the connection between white supremacists who are in prison already and not allowed to have guns and why you're cracking down on law-abiding gun owners is some kind of response to that. It seems more like, you know, X does something wrong and so you punish A, B, C, and D uh, for some kind of symbolic uh, retribution.
0: Well, if you'd like to share your Disgrace of the Week or say something nice, uh, be sure to tweet us or post on our Facebook page. But for right now, it's time to get to our favorite part of the show, which is Disgrace of the Week. Patty, as always, start us off.
1: Well, a disgrace we've talked about before and we will continue to talking about. But now we find out that Rocky Allen, the surgical tech, has also is HIV positive, which means everyone who came in contact with him, the people who already know they've got problems, are going to be living with this who knows for how, how much of their life, and it shows how much you need screening of these employees.
0: Do you think that's going to become a bigger issue for Swedish now that it's, it's beyond hepatitis, it's HIV? It's, I mean, there's almost maybe a 1,000 people that still haven't been tested for everything. Is it going to be a bigger issue?
1: Well, it's not going to get smaller, no. Unfortunately, it will get bigger.
0: Mm-hmm. David, the disgrace of the Week that you'd like to mention. Uh,
2: Donald Trump's attack on the American-born judge in his the fraud case over the so-called Trump University. Uh, it, it, in a way, it's, it's a preemptive attack because he, kn- he knows that actually, the, based on the facts, I think, there's a very good chance he's going to lose that case. So for his, his Trumpkin followers, he's trying to delegitimize the verdict. What's this going to be? guy going to be like is, if he's president? You know, he'll get court orders, and he will just blow them off. We're going to have a, a very serious constitutional crisis. We'll also have a constitutional crisis with, if Hillary uh, becomes president, but th- th- we're not having some details about the one that will happen uh, if this completely unsuitable guy uh, is given power.
0: I keep waiting if there's going to be that moment of, like, well, this is too much, and I'm not sure if that moment's ever going to come. It yeah. was a very interesting uh, issue this
3: week. Joey. Colorado women's lobby... The, and this is really about scorecards in general, but they came out one with one this week that was clearly pandering toward the november election of course it 's been this way all year to try to paint Republicans in the most negative light on women 's issues as possible. But they put out a scorecard this week in which every Democrat in the state House scored one hundred except one who uh, scored in the '90s. And then the the Republicans universally got bad, bad scores. And it was because of the bills they chose to look at, very liberal bills. And the headline that comes out of that is, you know, Republicans have a war on women. But you look at some of the people who got low scores. Clarice Navarro, Clarice Navarro, Representative Clarice Navarro from Pueblo scored a 15. And anybody that wants to say that she's weak on women's issues, or she's subservient to, to men, or that she's a part of some war on women, They don't know Clarice Navarro. So, you know, these things come out, and I think it's time for the press to start ignoring them. Ed. Speaking of ignoring, I'm going to give my disgrace to
4: the parents of Yamato Tanuka. Now, he's the seven-year-old boy in Japan who was punished for being a bad kid by his parents by being told to get out of the car as they drove away and left him at the mouth of a forest. The good news is that after he was lost for six days, he did come back to his family. The bad news is... He's got to continue to be raised by this family at this point. These are the uh, nominees for Worst Parents of the Year. Yeah, Joe Dirt's funny as a movie, not
0: as actual reality <laughs> in Japan. Yeah. That's a very good point. Our viewer submitted uh, for Say Something Nice this week is from Kendra in Wheatridge, who wanted to give a shout-out to uh, the uh, veteran who was uh, hurt, uh, injured in combat, the very first one to climb Everest. Just did that uh, over Memorial Day weekend. Uh, Patty, your Say Something Nice.
1: Just drove through it on my way here today the annual People's Fair, which is just a celebration of all that's wacky and wonderful about life here in Colorado, going on over 40 years in the Civic Center this weekend.
0: Wacky and wonderful is probably the very best way to describe that, very well put. David.
2: Ian Silveri, the uh, former Chief of Staff to uh, House Speaker Dickie Lee, Hullinghorst has been, was I think, respected widely at, at the Capitol, uh, has become the new head of progress now, and I am cautiously optimistic, he may be able to improve the organization
3: and make it adopt a more uh, grown-up tone. Joey. I second Dave's point, but I will say Max Potter. I just finished reading his book about Governor Hickenlooper, and everybody should buy it. I went into this thing kind of cynical that, ah, come on, I've covered Hickenlooper, I've known him for 14 years, what can you tell me? He told me a lot I didn't know. Hickenlooper took his mom to see a porn movie. It's a great book and so well written. I laughed, I cried, it became a part of me. Everybody go by uh, The Opposite of Woe. It's a very good book.
4: Ed. As long as we're talking about writers, I'm actually gonna give mine to Leanne Colciopo, uh, the new editor of the Denver Post, the first female editor in the paper's history. It is a tough time to be in this business, but I know she has a lot of respect from all those who know us, all of us who know her in the journalism world and hoping that uh, that uh, that ownership situation can get a little stabilized there. You're here. That is all the time we have tonight. Thanks
0: for tuning in. I want to remind everybody, if you just uh, just tuned in before we mentioned it earlier in the show, that Colorado Science kicks off the primary season tonight with our debate featuring the candidates for the Denver District Attorney Democratic primary. That's at 9 o'clock. And next Friday at 9 o'clock we'll have the five U.S. Senate candidates for the Republican primary. Uh, both were great debates, I think very informative, especially major uh, races that we've been talking about on this table. We finally get to see the candidates do the talking, which is uh, a little bit refreshing and Not always just about uh, the signatures, although we bring it up once or twice. Uh, As always, be sure to check out our podcast on iTunes. And for our CIO postgame segment, which is just exclusively online, we put that on Twitter and our Facebook page. That is everything that we have here tonight. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dazuti. Thanks for watching. Good night.